Hey, and welcome to the Scott's Hope Podcast. We are currently in a series called Moving Forward, where Pastor Phil is preaching on the vision for our church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad that you're able to join us this morning in person as we gather live together. And those of you who are joining us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. Now, let me invite you into this place to join with us as we worship corporately together. Those of you who are first or second time guests here, so great to have you here. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. It's been a great joy of mine for so many years to be with one of the greatest faith families in this area. And I can't wait to be with my family Sunday after Sunday, and then through the course of the week and things such as that. One of my great favorite authors has been Chuck Swindoll, and over the years he has written a number of books, but he also has a number of great devotional books. And one of his devotional books, he tells the story of a church that completely disappeared one day. Not just the congregants, not just the members, but the building and all of its facilities. Then he goes on to explain it. It was a small church in Ireland that had gathered together for many generations. And in their heyday, they ran about 150 to 200 people. But over the course of time, the people in that community started to lose interest in going to church and the things of God. And so there was only a handful of believers left in that small congregation. And so they were concerned about the future of their ministry. So they contacted one of the denominational leaders in that area in Ireland and wanted to meet with him so they can talk about strategy, so they can talk about how they can re-engage their community and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he met with them and they worked on a strategy and they agreed on what they would do. And he said, you know what? In about nine months, I will come back. I'm going to check on you and make sure everything's going well. True to his word, nine months later, he came back to the community. He drove up to the property, but there was no buildings there. All the buildings were gone. There was no sign. There was no structure. So he began to think, did I, did I come to the wrong property? No, he came to the right place. So he began asking around the community. He thought maybe somebody sold the building and somebody came in there and physically moved the structures off of the site. And as he began to investigate, he discovered that wasn't true. What happened was this, that handful of members were so discouraged that they decided that they would, as a small group, deconstruct that church. They took all the bricks off the building. They took all the lumber. They took all the material and they divided it among the members who were left. And with the bricks and with the structure, with all the materials, they began to build different things. They built storage units for themselves. They built chicken coops. They took the bricks and they paved walkways and driveways. They began to build all kinds of different things such as stoves with the bricks and ovens. And to the surprise of this denominational leader, they even took the bricks and the material and built some of the finest outhouses in that area. And you think about that, which was once the light of the gospel in a community was now being used to store animals and human possessions and human waste. What a, what a heartbreak to hear such a thing. But that is not unique of churches in Ireland because that is happening all around the world. 
And we find even in our own culture, we can drive in the areas of Wilmington and we see buildings that are for sale that once were hot spots for the gospel. And now you're beginning to see that they're selling them and they're using them for wedding venues and businesses. What happened? Well, what happened to them is the same thing that happens to every church that closes its doors, sells its buildings and walk away. They've lost sight of who they are. They've lost sight of their calling, their ministry, their passion. No longer do they have a hunger for the word of God. No longer do they have a hunger for the body of Christ to gather together in a place such as this and to worship together and to celebrate his goodness. They lose sight of all of those things. Last week, we started a series called Moving Forward. And what our elders and our pastors have begun to look at is coming out of this pandemic, what are some areas that we need to move forward in as a body of Christ to continue with the mission, the calling, and the passion that the Lord Jesus has given to us? And as we look through this, we want to look and see what God has before us because everything in front of us is different than everything that's behind us. And as we're moving forward, we understood last week that there were two marks of churches that are effective in moving forward. And these two marks are always there. Let me just review these real quickly. Churches that keep moving forward stick to their vision. They always stick to the clear vision that God has for them. Last week, we reminded you of our vision at Scotts Hill. Our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. We said that this is an intensely biblical vision because it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul says, but we all being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. We see that this vision is inclusive. All of us, God desires to transform. It is initiated by God. He is the one who brings the transformation to us. It is intentional. He wants to make us into the same image of Jesus Christ, and it's incremental. It goes from glory to glory. So our vision is something that is an end goal. It's an end game that we're constantly looking to the end that God's desire for every person and the life of this ministry is that he would transform them into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. So we said two things we want to do with this vision. We want to learn it, memorize it, and understand this is what God has for us as a people of God at Scotts Hill and to live it. That means we are to live this. We are to every single day, let the Holy Spirit of God make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's our end game. And that's never going to change until the Lord Jesus comes back. We're moving in that direction. But the second thing we said that every church has that moves forward is it sticks to a set of values. And we have a set of values at Scott's Hill that we live by. There's seven core values, and the seven core values are simply these things. We study God's word, we grow through discipleship, we engage in worship, we seek God in prayer, we live on mission, we love others through service, and we give with generosity. These are just simply spiritual formation of every believer. If you're a child of God, these should be the things that are taking place in your life. Now, if you pay attention to what happens at Scotts Hill every single Sunday, you will hear about these seven core values. You've heard about them today. Now, like all these seven core values, there are times in our life where some are stronger than others. We might be really good right now at studying God's word, but maybe our prayer life is not where it needs to be. Maybe we're really good in worship, but we're not really living on mission as God wants us to be. 
So we're always having to tweak. We're always having to measure our lives based upon these seven core values because these are the things that God uses to change us into the image of Christ. Now, as we've come out of this pandemic, we've come out of restrictions. We've come out of all kinds of interruptions. And some of these core values in the life of our church have been interrupted. And so what we want to do is get back on track. And one way to get back on the track is to say, what are the key areas that we must focus on as we move forward? And this morning, I want to focus on two areas that I believe are the most important right now in the life of our church. Because of the pandemic, because of everything that we've been through in the last year, we have all made adjustments to those things, and we have unintentionally moved away as a body from some key core values that I believe and that our pastors believe are to be the priorities of our life in these days. What are these? Well, we find them that these two key core values that we want to focus on are really two very important core values that Jesus teaches us. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, you're turning on your devices, you're locating Matthew 4. Let me just give you the, 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 the catch up, the context of this passage. Jesus has just been baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. He is led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted by Satan. And as he goes into the wilderness, he's there 40 days with no food. And then Satan begins to tempt him. He gives him three temptations. The first one, he tempts Jesus with using his supernatural powers for his own selfish gain. He said, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies to him with scripture, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, I refuse to use my supernatural powers for my own pleasure. I'm going to trust in God. Then Satan gives him a second one. He tempts him with the spectacular. He brings him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, listen, throw yourself down and everybody will worship you. The angels will hold you up. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus said, I don't need to do anything spectacular. I'm just going to simply follow the will of my father every single day. Then he gets to the third one. And this is the one I want us to look at. He tempts him with a shortcut. He says, really, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. If you just bow down and worship me, I will make you Lord over all the kingdoms. Satan is such a foolish spirit. Jesus is already Lord. And Jesus responds to him. And Satan says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you just fall down and worship me. Here's the shortcut. But Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The devil is saying, you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to go to that agony. You don't need to go to that humiliation. You don't need to go to the pain. Here's a shortcut. Bow to me and I'll give you all these things. Jesus says, be gone. You shall worship God and serve him only. And what did Jesus do right there? He showed the priorities of his own life, worship and service. And Jesus models this perfectly through the New Testament. 
We see he was always in a position of worship. He regularly pulled away to private worship in the garden at night, early in the morning, where he worshiped his father, but he also went to the synagogue and to the temple, and he worshiped publicly. There was a private worship of the Lord Jesus and a public worship, but he was also involved in service. The overflow of his worship spilled into the service of other people. He loved people. He healed people. He cast demons out of people. He forgave people. He fed people. He taught people. His whole life was filled with this issue of service. Now, I want you to hear this very clearly. Worship precedes service because worship is the vertical. It's our relationship with the Father. The overflow of my worship of God should spill into my loving others by serving them. There's the horizontal. It's both vertical and it's horizontal. And this is most beautifully displayed on the cross where Jesus worshiped the Father by submitting to him and going to the cross and he served all of humanity by dying for them. So this is the priority of our life. And as we begin to look at these things of the Lord Jesus, these are the two core values that we must build and put a fire under as we move forward. The core values, we engage in worship and we love others through serving. You see, sometimes we get these backwards, don't we? We want to be all about serving people, but we don't worship the Lord. And the people who serve without worship, their service is not long-lived. They get burned out. But the people who serve out of a heart of worship, the priority of their life is to worship the Lord Jesus and to spend intimate time with him, then the overflow of their love for Jesus is just simply going to be loving others. And I believe this is where we miss it in the life of the church. God is calling us back to a place of worship. And the overflow of that worship is to love one another through serving. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I don't have a lot of time for this. But I'm going to very quickly walk you through these two core values. I want us to spend a couple of moments on talking about what is worship, why it's important, and why should we allow service to overflow from that? So where do we go? Here's where we start. What is worship? What is biblical worship? Let me tell you, first of all, what biblical worship is not. Biblical worship is not an event. Many people say, where are you going? I'm going to worship. And they treat worship as an event. It's a, at a specific time on a specific day, and they limit worship to that hour. What do we call this? We even call these worship hours. But it's not an event. It goes far beyond one hour of our week. Secondly, it is not lo certain, located in a certain place. It's not a certain location. It can be anywhere. Many times people consider worship takes place when you gather here on a Sunday morning as you gather with God's people only. Worship can take place anywhere. It's not to be just in one location. It is to be everywhere we go. We can worship the Lord as we're driving down the road. We can worship the Lord as we're hunting in the woods. We can worship the Lord as we're shopping at the mall. Although I think that is really contrary to all the great things of God. But anyway... <laughs> You can worship God anywhere. Here's the third thing. It's not limited to singing and music. 
Many people say, how was the worship today? Oh, the worship was great. Well, how was the preaching? Preaching not so good. The worship was great. It's all of it. It's all of it. We get the wrong idea about worship. Here's what we think when we come here. We think that God, when we come to a time of worship, God is the prompter. The worship leaders are the performers and the congregation is the audience. That's what we mostly think. It's completely wrong. The worship leaders are the prompters. The congregation is the performers. God is the audience. And when we gather together on Sunday mornings to worship, there's one audience, and it is God alone. And we are the ones who are performing and singing our hearts in praise to him. Listen, when we leave here on Sunday morning, we should never be able to say, hey, that music was great, or that preaching was great. We should leave every single Sunday morning and say, boy, isn't God great? That's the heart of biblical worship. So what does worship really look like? Jesus describes it to us in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, here's what Jesus says. He's speaking to a woman from Samaria at a well. And she gets in a controversial subject with him, asking, where do we worship? Do we worship on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worship, or do we worship in Jerusalem? Jesus sidesteps the controversy, goes right to the heart of the issue of worship, and he says this, but the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So we go back to the question, what is biblical worship? Let me tell you what biblical worship is. I'm going to give you four things that flow out of this passage. Number one, it is an intimate response to salvation. Biblical worship is always an intimate response because of what God has done for us. The word worship literally means to bow down, to lay prostrate on your face, to, to lay before the Lord and to honor and respect him. But in the New Testament, there's an added meaning. It's the kissing of a hand. It is intimate. You can bow in front of someone from a distance, but you cannot kiss somebody's hand from a distance. It is up close and personal. And so what is worship? Worship is this intimate response because of who God is, what God delights in, and what he has done for us. It is a response of salvation because of his incredible grace to you and me that we don't deserve and we deserve death. We deserve eternal separation. But because of his great love for us, he made us alive in Christ. And the response is to worship him in an intimate way. Worship is an intimate relationship that we cultivate with the Father every single day. But there's a second thing about worship. It is an emotional response in adoration. Jesus says, you shall worship in spirit. When he says spirit, he's talking about the heart. He's talking about the emotions. He's talking about our personality. He's talking about our being. When we gather to worship him, whether it's in private or publicly, we should have some emotion involved in this. Do you know what the number one response in scripture is of worship? It's the lifting of hands. The second response in worship is the falling on knees and on your face. There's always a physical connection with biblical worship. It means that we get involved in this. We allow our emotions to flow through as we worship him. 
You know, it's amazing. We get all emotionally worked up when we watch the Olympics. We get all emotionally worked up when we watch our football team or our basketball team or our kids cheering or playing soccer. We jump up and scream. But you know what? When it comes to worship of God, we put our emotions in check. Now, some of us are more emotional people than others, and we need to be in check. Some of us, some of us, this is the extent of our expression of worship. I dare you to make me sing. I really want to tap my foot, but I ain't doing it today. When my little girl was little, she'd raise her hands for me to pick her up. You know what she was saying? She said, Daddy, hold me. I didn't say to Leslie, put your hands down, you little charismatic. <laughs> I picked her up. Why? Because it is ex her expression of love for us. And I just want to say, it's, you're free to be able to lift your hands. You're free to stand and worship. Now, we are going to have some order. We would rather you not run up and down the aisles and jump over these seats and things such as that. But it is an emotional expression. When we get to the book of Revelation, it's incredible the emotion that we see at the throne of Jesus Christ as we worship him. But here's the third thing we need to see about a worship. It's an intellectual response from Revelation. It's in truth. All worship must be grounded in biblical truth. It must be doctrinally correct. It must be biblically accurate. And we can't just let our emotions run. There has to be the guidance of the revelation of what God says about himself, what he delights in, and how we engage in worship. All worship must be grounded in Scripture. And one of the things that we do at Scotts Hill is we are very careful when we use music because we want to make sure our songs are biblically accurate. There are some artists, there are some music that we do not use because of the teaching of churches and what those churches stand for. And we have just chosen we're going to stay away from that music. But the music that we utilize here is always grounded in Scripture. And all of our worship is to be grounded in the truth of God's Word. Now, let me tell you, there must be a balance in emotion and truth. John Piper, in one of his articles, gave us a really helpful thought when it comes to emotion and truth. Here's what he says. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and the marrow of biblical worship. Wow, that's so good. It's got to be emotional, but it's got to be truth, spirit and truth. But there's a fourth thing I want us to see. It's a corporate response in celebration. It's a corporate response in celebration. While, while worship is cultivated in the privacy of a person's life, it is most celebrated in the public worship with other believers. There is this thing of corporate worship that is very important 
in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. It is one thing for you and me to worship privately, but it's another thing for us to gather with God's people to declare his greatness. And so when we worship corporately, there are always three things we want to do. The first thing is this, we want to exalt Christ. Every time we gather together as a corporate gathering, we want to exalt the name of Jesus. Psalm 34.3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Then you see Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. When we gather together every single Sunday, we gather for the purpose of edifying him. It is not about us. It's not about our band. It's not about our ministries. It's about Jesus. And every single Sunday when we gather here, we want to exalt him because he deserves it. But secondly, we want to edify one another. We want to edify one another. The word edify just simply means we want to build up. We want to encourage one another. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Let me tell you this morning, bless my heart. As I'm sitting there and I'm hearing you sing, I'm watching you worship. Some of you have your hands up. Some of you don't have the freedom to do that. You're standing there with your eyes closed, but you're engaging in worship. You're singing to the Lord. And you know what that does? That encourages each other. That edifies one another. When we gather together and we hear each other sing and we listen to one another's hearts, sometimes I sit behind or in front of some of you, you can't sing a note. You're like me. We make a joyful noise. But it blesses my heart to hear the hearts of people lifting high the praise of the Lord Jesus. And here's the third thing. When we worship on Sundays, we evangelize the lost. See, how do we do that? First John tells us this way. John says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Every time the body of Christ gathers corporately, as we're exalting Jesus, as we're edifying one another, people who don't know Jesus are genuinely watching people worship God. They're learning something about God as we sing. They're learning something about the body of Christ as we express our love for him. And they're watching God's people genuinely in an intimate relationship with the Father. And when we really worship, they are impacted. And there's an opportunity to evangelize. That's what worship is. That's what we're about. Now, let me just say something. Coming out of the pandemic, this has been something that many churches have missed. There's a new phrase that's going around since the pandemic. You know what it is? A virtual community. A virtual community. You see, the problem is this. There's no such thing as a virtual community. A community is eye-to-eye, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, heart-to-heart, people-to-people, living life together. How many times do you feel like you were virtually connected with people in a Zoom conversation? I wish I had stock in Zoom before, <laughs> before all that happened but there's no connection. And it's when we gather together that God is calling us 
into this community of believers. One of the things that God is calling us back to is this corporate gathering where we worship, we exalt, we edify, and we evangelize. You have done that well. We have continued to walk through that, and we are moving through that in the days ahead. We engage in worship. But I've got four minutes left to tell you the second core value. And what is that? We love others through service. The overflow of my love for Jesus should be my love for you. The overflow, because of what Jesus has done in my life, I should want to pour into your lives. There's the vertical, and now there's the horizontal. Jesus said, worship the Lord and serve him. And I serve the Lord as I serve you. So why should we be so engaged in service? Because we see that all through the life of Jesus and all through the New Testament churches. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers in Rome. And here's what he says to them. He says, for as in one body we have many members and, there are member, and, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And we're individually members one of one, one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He says five reasons in this passage you and I are to serve. I'm going to go through these really quickly with hardly any comments, Okay. Number one, I am to love others through service because of the immensity of the church, because of the size of the church. Paul says, for as in one body, we have many members. So we, though many, are one body. I want you to know something. This church has outgrown all of our pastors a long time ago. Our pastors cannot take care of the needs of everybody in the life of this church. And so because there are so many there are many people that we need to help us serve. And because of the immensity of the church, no one staff can ever handle all the needs of the body. I'm going to tell you, we have let people down. Not intentionally, but because we can't simply minister to all the needs. There are sometimes people who are hurt because they feel like we have not visited them well enough or we've not paid enough attention to their needs. We just simply can't do it all. And so we need the members of this body because of the immensity of the church. But secondly, because of the unity of the church. He says, for as in one body, we have many members. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's because of the unity of the church we are to walk together in this. You know, you can't spell community without spelling unity. The two go hand in hand. And if we're going to be effective in ministry and serving, we understand that we have one vision and one purpose, and we're walking towards those together. Here's a third reason. I am to love others through service because of the diversity of the church. We are diverse. And the way Paul puts it, he says, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse four, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Every person in this body, we have different gifts. Now, some of us have similar gifts, but we have different gifts. And because of the diversity of the body, we need everybody. 
because you have a gift that I don't have. I have a gift that you don't have. And we firmly believe this. Every person that joins the life of Scotts Hill, God is sending that individual with gifts that we need. Because what you have, we need. We're not a homogenous mixture. Like, put things in a blender, and you blend it all up, and you cannot distinguish the elements one from another. That is not the church. The church is more like a tossed salad. When you have all the ingredients, you have lettuce, you have cucumbers, you have tomatoes, you have cheese, you have croutons, and you always have nuts, right? (laughs) But that is an explosion of flavor as we walk together in our differences. This is the beautiful thing about the church. It's not about unanimity where we all think alike, a uniformity where we all look alike. We're different by design. And I need your gift and you need mine. And we work together because of the diversity. But fourthly, I'm to love others through service because of the dependency of the church and individually members one of another. We belong to one another. We are connected to one another through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit who's living in us. We are one. You know how many one another phrases there are in the New Testament? 63. 63. Love one another. Greet one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Forbear with one another. Lastly, I am to love others through service because of the responsibility of the church. Because of responsibility, let us use them. Peter says, and each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Why do we need to do it? Two reasons. We're created for service. We're created for service. You know, one day when we stand before the Lord Jesus, we're going to give an account for the gifts that he's given to us. Did we bury them? Like the parable that Jesus speaks about? Or are we using our gifts? We're created for that. Ephesians Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're created. You are created for good works in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, and the Holy Spirit has given each to one of us a gift as he determines. So your gift has been specifically chosen by God for you for the body. But we're also gifted, as I said, for service. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, but now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all of them to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So as we look over the landscape of where we've been as a church, these two core values we need to build and shore up. Corporate worship, private worship, and service. So as we move forward, here's the vision that we have. We believe so much in engaging in worship and serving one another that we've got to get back on track with this. And we've been doing well as we've been kind of waiting to see what the Holy Spirit would lead us in. But here's where we want to encourage you. We want there a philosophy in our church to be attend one, serve one. 
very simple. Attend one, serve one. You should have received two of these cards when you came in. One, both of them say moving forward. One of them deals with the leader launch. But this one, on the back side of it, tells you what our goal is for the future. We believe so much in corporate worship that we believe we need to attend one. But listen carefully. We need to attend with our families. Some of you who have preschoolers, we're not talking to you. Okay? <laughs> not in a, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a very good way. We have a nursery that's designed to take care of the needs of the youngest among us. And we have that set so we can minister to them. But if you have preschoolers, what I'm about to share really doesn't uh, impact you. But if you have kids who are in elementary school, and you have kids who are in middle school, and you have kids who are in high school, we want to encourage our families to corporately worship together. And so that might mean that we're going to run out of space quickly because we're going to fill up these chairs with additional bodies of little ones. And even though you had a pews before, you could squeeze people close, but a seat is a seat is a seat here. And we're not going to do like airlines where they have to sit on your lap. So we're going to need some additional space, but we want to encourage to attend one together as a family. But the second part of that is we want to encourage all of our members to serve one. Now, let me tell you, this has been interrupted because of COVID. All of our small groups have mostly moved off campus. We only have a few small groups. So it's very hard for adults to attend one together as a family and their kids to go to a ministry delivery because there's nowhere for the parents to go. Well, there are two options. Involve yourself in serving in some capacity that you attend one together as a family, but you serve or participate in a ministry delivery as a family. So adults, we need help in our nursery. We need help in our children. We need help in our middle school. We're going to need help with greeting. We need help in production. There are all kinds of places. So we're asking you to serve one. Now, if you're already serving outside of a Sunday morning, we're not asking you to double up on that. So we're asking for people to attend one and serve one. Now, here's the other thing. We are going to create a a, a proportional ministry for children, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, both at our first service and our second service. So the quality of ministries in both of those hours will be the same. So you can say as a family, you would worship at the first hour, and then you would serve at the second hour while your kids are in a ministry delivery. Or if you're not service, we're creating a class that's going to be at both hours called our Connecting Point class. And that Connecting Point class is going to be at the same time that this service is going and the same time of the 11 o'clock service. So you might go to a class at the first service, and then what happens is while your kids are in the delivery, you all come to worship at the second service. Or you come to worship at the first service and you go to a class and ministry delivery at the second service. What we're trying to create is a balance so that we can move forward for the future and creating an environment that provides the needs for all family members. So when we ask you to do that, and this class is going to take place in the FLC. 
on the gym floor. There's going to be refreshments. There's going to be a fellowship time. That connecting class is going to be a great place for new people who are looking at the life of the church to come to a class to meet new people. It's going to be a connecting point of how do you get involved in other areas, such as small group and ministry. And, and for those who, are do, who are maybe don't have a place of service on Sunday morning, you can go to that while your kids are in a ministry delivery. And it creates a balance for the entire family. Now, when are we going to do this? Here's what we want to look at. August the 29th. On August the 29th, we're going to have two new times. We're going to start at 9.15 instead of 9.30. For some of you, oh, that's going to put you 30 minutes late. <laughs> some of you still don't know how we start a worship service at this place because you've never been when we started. That's Okay. But we're going to start at 9.15. Why? Just exactly for what's happening right now. We're running out of time. And we're having to make transitions too quickly and rushing through things. So we want to start at 9.15 and at 11. At 9.15, there will be a worship service going on here and a connections time going on in a family life center and ministry delivery for all ages. At 11 o'clock, there will be a worship service going on here, corporate gathering. There will be a connecting points class in the Family Life Center and ministries for all ages going on. And we're not saying that the 11 o'clock is going to go longer than it normally goes. It's not. So don't think, oh, I'm not going to that one. But we're going to go 9.15 and we're going to go 11. And on the 29th, we start our connecting points class. And you can go to that and drink coffee and eat donuts and whatever it is that we do. And you fellowship with one another. And there's one teacher. We're asking our very best teachers to lead this. And so it's a great time of people connecting with one another and finding all the ways to get involved in the life of the church. And we're going to have service opportunities as well. And quality ministries at both times. Why? Worship, service. Worship, service. As we move together... Because I don't know if you've noticed the community around us and what is happening. Our next step after that is going to be deciding what do we do with our worship venues because we're 100% full at this service. We're 80% full at 11 o'clock. And even creating a balance between the two still means we're full. And the next step is going to be looking at that in the days ahead. But here's what we're asking all covenant members to commit to, attend one, serve, or participate in one. Attend one, serve, and participate in one. If you're not a covenant member of our church, during that time, we're going to have membership matters classes that we want to encourage you to be a part of. Because you cannot serve in the life of Scottsdale unless you're a covenant member. But we want people to move into membership so they can serve and so that we can grow together as a family. If you're not a believer here this morning, you've just got to hear some of the structure that we're doing and why are we doing that? We're doing that because we love you. We're doing that because we love our community. We're doing all of this because we love to see what God is gonna be bringing in the days ahead as we grow together and transform lives. Next week, we're gonna look at two other core values and we're going to see the next step that God has for us when it comes to small groups 
But right now, we want you to be thinking about this. You've been given a card about service. And on the back side of that are all the areas of service. And right out here in this small parking lot, we've got individuals. We would love for you to just sign your name, check out what you're interested in, go to that particular table, drop that off with them, and we'd love to contact you about how you can get involved in serving. And then the leader launch will be a significant thing for you to be a part of as you learn what service is at Scotts Hill. Now, I want to say this. If you're in the process of becoming a covenant member, You've gone through the class. You have been, you've met with a, a pastor. We allow people who are in the process to begin the process of serving. So you don't have to wait until August 29th to be able to sign up for a service place. You can do that even now as we move forward for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. It's a lot of information we've heard. May your Holy Spirit take it and filter it within our hearts that we will engage in worship and we will love one another through service. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, Feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.